couple members of the Randy Newman fandom discussing one of his songs at random, followed by another that's a cover. It's Wheel of Randy. Well, if you don't be my little woman, and I won't buy you a dog on Hey, it's Wheel of Randy, your favorite Randy Newman podcast, part of the Good Trash Media Network. Uh, you guys know the drill. Let's start the show! It's Wheel of Randy! Alright, folks, we've got the one and only Connor Ratliff here today. Hello, Connor. Hello. How you doing, Dan? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Uh, I My friends were surprised that I wasn't real familiar with who you were. But the more I looked oh. into it, it's like, oh, I know this guy. I, I oh. showed a picture of you to my wife, and she immediately went, oh, yeah, the lawyer from Orange is the New Black. Great, great. So yeah. it, you, you have I, one I, person who will recognize you on the street, at least. I'm, I'm very happy to have, have – that, that feels like a good place to have landed in the world where of, oh, that's that guy from, you know, like – because I, I feel like I grew up and those were often my favorite actors were the people that I didn't I knew them from this or I knew them from that uh, so I'm quite happy to, to, to live in that little uh, small corner of show business uh, I John Solomon introduced us and John Solomon yeah. in a way introduced me to your work because uh, on his Christmas marathon last year uh, we heard a rendition of Yoda Baby yes. uh, by uh by the, the fine folks at the George Lucas talk show. Yes, this was our that was our holiday song, um, and I believe there are. Uh, it's a thing that a couple of different people have done versions of online, but uh, I think we did our we did ours pretty quickly out of the gate, uh, and uh, we originally did that as part of our live show at UCB. But then I was uh, excited to hand that in for the Christmas marathon. You you did you did George Lucas at UCB, what five or six years. Yeah, we did six years at UCB, and then uh, I think I was on tour when the pandemic shut the theater down. I think Griffin Newman plays uh, Watto, the talk show sidekick on, on the show. and Which, by the way, that's just the... I, of of all the Star Wars universe, Watto is the perfect person to pick as a sidekick. That's just yeah, yeah. When I well, when we started, we had Sean Diston was my sidekick for years, and he was Jar Jar Binks. And then he moved to L.A. to work in TV. He booked a bunch of uh, TV writing gigs, and Griffin Newman stepped in as Watto. Uh, so this is a deep bench of of, <laughs> of inappropriate Star Wars characters to to, uh, to showcase. But he did a one man show. Uh, as Watto, that was one of the last shows at UCB before everything got shut down. So he always jokes that he basically shut down the theater when he did a one-man Watto off, literally off-Broadway. Um, <laughs> it was like a, a, a night of song and dance by Watto, the the uh, junk mer- merchant from Phantom Menace. I, I seem to remember uh, Jason Gore talked about how he was one of the last shows and how he had to pretty much break in to get his stuff after things shut down. Yeah, there was it was pretty sad because I was I was stuck in Missouri for most of last year and we heard that the theater was shutting down and that there was going to be a day when uh, people had to because one of the advantages of when UCB moved to that theater was that there was space so you could like store stuff for your show backstage nice. and keep it there. And that meant I had just a ton of George Lucas talk show stuff in these like big duffel bags. And there are these uh, filmmakers who for the last couple of years had been making a documentary about the George Lucas talk show. They had come to me and said, um, Initially, they came to me and said, we want to f- we're fans of the show. We'd like to film one of them properly with like multiple cameras and make a film of it. And it ended up becoming like a documentary. Uh, they're still working on it, about the making of the show, like making this sort of like cult, you know, bit comedy show in New York City. And it, it ended up being that like uh, I couldn't be there. Uh, Griffin couldn't be there. Patrick couldn't be there. Um, a friend of Patrick's ended up going to the theater on the one day when we could clear our stuff out. And one of the filmmakers was like filming, like the stuff being loaded out of the theater. And we thought, what a, what a sad, 
what a sad narrative that this documentary has where they're literally no one connected to the show can actually even get near the building to sadly empty our duffel bag of junk out of, you know. Um, but that documentary, hopefully, hopefully when things open up again, that'll be something that we can tour around and uh, go uh, go on the festival circuit with. Um yeah, but we've been live streaming. We're on hiatus right now, but we've been live streaming on Planet Scum, which was uh, Chris Gethard's Twitch channel right. uh, mm-hmm. since last Star Wars Day. So we actually, we did six years of the show at UCB, but in the past year, we've done over 330 hours of the show. So we, we did more hours of the show in the first month and a half of live streams than we had done in six years of it being a, an in-person show. So we very quickly, you know, racked up the hours when we were all, uh, you know, cooped up and playing to an audience of people who are cooped up, you know? Yeah. For those who aren't familiar with the show, uh, you play a highly fictionalized George Lucas. Yes. Um, a highly stylized character version of, it, I would say it's probably 15% George Lucas and and the rest is a combination of me and my weird character impulses. What 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 do you see as the main differences between your George Lucas and reality? Well, the real George Lucas would never host a talk show for one thing. That's the, okay, sure, right out of the yeah. right out of the gate. Uh he, he's not a performer and he's not a uh you know, part of the reason why it's not a strict imitation is that uh, you know, he's very much a behind the scenes guy. He's a writer and a producer and a director. And, you know, you can, I can do a pretty accurate George Lucas, but I often will do that for the first 20 seconds. And then it will sort of meld into something else because you can't just do a show where everything's at this level. You know, you, you can't do a four hour show where you're just talking like this. And well, you know, it's just, it's you, unless you're, it becomes an ASMR uh, video at that point. It's just his voice is at such a low register that, you know, everything's sort of, it's, it's kind of like a, a sleepy older Kermit the Frog sort of voice, you know? Um, and I, and I would also just say my version of George Lucas is crazier, more aggressive, um, uh, <laughs> probably talks about George Lucas things more than the real George Lucas would, you right. know, like if you were, if the real George Lucas were uh, hosting a show, he'd probably spend more time talking about Kurosawa or, you know, um, although we do talk a fair amount about, of since a lot of what George Lucas has been doing in real life during the lifespan of our show has been building the Lucas Museum of Narrative Art. There was a point a few years ago where I turned to my producer after one of the shows and said, I think I'm going to start talking about Norman Rockwell a lot more on the show. And he said, what? And I said, well, George Lucas is a huge, he and Steven Spielberg, there's a book that's by them that accompanies this exhibit. That They're both two of the hugest collectors of original Norman Rockwell paintings in the world. And... So I assume that the Lucas Museum is going to have like a fair amount of Norman Rockwell stuff in it. All right, so sure. we just started talking. We talk about Norman Rockwell more than we talk about Star Wars on the show, I think. Um, but in ways that are, you know, crazy and funny and um, and weird. It's just it's a weird show. It's it, fun it's and a playful. Weird show, and I say that with love. Yeah. yeah, it's also it's also to a certain extent. I like to think of it as something of a of a of a countermeasure to how um, kind of how much less fun it's gotten to be a Star Wars fan in recent years because people get so upset about everything. Sure. You know, there's just been a lot more. There's always been a certain faction of like people who are disappointed in whatever's happening with Star Wars at any given moment. And we try to be, we try to have fun even with the things that, even with the things about Star Wars that we don't, necessarily like we try to the show was originally designed by me or at least the character that i came up with was originally came out of my reaction to when george lucas started doing the special editions and then he did the prequels and Mm. none of it was really for me or aimed at me it was like yeah yeah like i liked the stuff that i saw when i was a kid and by the time i was an adult he wasn't really pitching these things at my level and so my version of george lucas was like my like well if i'm not gonna 100 percent love these new star wars things i might as well have a sense of humor about them and i sort of created a version of george lucas that was my version of uh you know when i was five i would play with uh, luke skywalker and han solo action figures and when mm-hmm. i was an adult i would just pretend to be george lucas and that was sort of like that's my version of a comedy ver because I also when I played with Star Wars toys, I would always be doing the comedy version of Star Wars. I would always be like trying to make it funny. Right. And so that's sort of what I do when I pretend to be George Lucas. It's just like 
I'm not doing it with a toy anymore. I'm just turning myself into the toy. You know, I, I, I think about that. Yeah, I was born in 73. So, you know, Star Wars was one of the first things I ever saw in a theater. And so it was yeah. just, just so ingrained. And I, I've thought about, you know, people my age and, and our relationship to George Lucas, how, how he was someone that, 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 that we idolized for so long. And then, then, you know, we had Willow and Howard the Duck and we was like, Oh, maybe there's some chinks in the armor here. Yeah. And there, there really got to be a backlash against him. Um, and I think that things are, are, are moving back to, to, to a reasonable medium. I, I think that, that, you know, I, I, I'm at the age where, like, okay, if if this isn't for me, that's fine. If my son yeah. enjoys uh, these Clone Wars uh, animations, good for him. Yeah. yeah. It's, I was it's, four. It's okay. Yeah. yeah, it really is. Like, I I've gotten so much out of not just the great parts of Star Wars that I like for legitimate reasons, but I also, like, I've had so much fun with the journey of, you know... Like, I, I always think, like, success and failure are sort of the, the things I, as a comedian, I'm drawn to the idea of people trying to be successful, people failing. Like, those are the those are the areas where I'm always sort of fascinated. And to me, what's fascinating about George Lucas is he's someone who became so successful that even his failures are sort of at a, like, at such a high level that, like, he, like, he can make a movie like Attack of the Clones that you know, a large percentage of the people who saw that movie did not enjoy that movie. Mm-hmm. And yet everybody still went to see it because it's George Lucas and it's a new Star Wars. You know, yeah, he's yeah. even even his some of his biggest failures are more successful than anything I will ever make in my entire life. You know, that that he's operating at a and it's also some of the things that creatively aren't maybe aren't successful there's all one of the things that doing the show has taught me is that even if the film doesn't work like howard the duck or willow or something there's always some element to it that is great there's always some element even if it's not the film itself like attack of the clones you know it changed the way movies got made like there'd never been a movie that had that many digital effects before and it was projected digitally and like uh like the young indiana jones chronicles tv show was not as much fun as any Indiana Jones movie made by Steven Spielberg, but it was sort of like the way that they were figuring out how to make like digital effects on a TV budget. And like most of the things that are made now owe a debt to some of these things that you might not like watching Radioland murders, but you'll be watching some other thing and how they figured out how to do that thing was making Radioland murders. Like there's so many things where he was like, making something and maybe the film was a bomb, but Oh, that was how they figured out how to do this. And now everybody does this, including all the shows and movies that we all love, you know? And so there's something really cool about that. He changes the game so many times Mm. uh, in his career. And I think, you know, even at this point, it wouldn't surprise me if he does something else in retirement that completely changes the way we think about, you know, how stories are told, you know? Yeah. Uh, I was just, just one of those weird happy accidents about the time that you and I started talking, uh, I stumbled upon uh, the Nancy Myers show uh, that where you and the guys were on double threat. And, oh, right. And yeah. uh, God, Julie Klausner just absolutely, uh, I, I, her performance on that was, was, was really phenomenal. And, 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 and you guys really had a, a great show with that. I thoroughly enjoyed listening to that. I, oh, thank you. I, I'm a big Julie Klausner fan, so that's probably I'm biased, but <laughs> it was it was great to to see that 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 back and forth there. All right, so here's my first Randy question for you. Yeah, your George Lucas and Watto and Patrick are yeah. uh, putting together a playlist. What Randy right. Newman song does each one of them put on? Ooh, that's interesting. Um, let me think. I think. Um... What would be the most, um, I wonder if George Lucas would put like an instrumental track from like the natural or something. I'm trying Mm -hmm. to think of like, um, whether it would be a song for Lucas or whether it would be something else. I think for, for Watto, it would probably be something problematic. It would probably be something, um, although I'm going to say for Watto, if I was going to have Watto perform a Randy Newman song, I'd say my life is, my life is good. Yes. 
Yeah. I think that would be a great Watto song and picture him, my life is good. <laughs> you know, just like, I think that would be a really good one. Um, and I think for uh, for Patrick, it would be Simon Smith and his amazing dancing bear without without hesitation. Yeah. Um, uh, but I'm going to say for George, I'm going to say uh, uh, one of his like orchestral one of his uh, soundtrack, not not a lyrical piece. It would be uh, maybe something from the natural. I could see that. I could see that. Yeah. So, what song have you brought for us to talk to you talk about today? Uh, I I have chosen "Tickle Me," um, <laughs> which is well. Uh, congratulations, yeah. Connor. Um, I and this is saying something. You may have picked the creepiest Randy song ever written. <laughs> Really, I think this is a. I think this is a very uh, sweet song. Okay, maybe so. Uh, let's let the audience decide, folks. Why don't you pause I, I, this real quick and listen to "Tickle Me" off of uh, Randy Newman Live, uh, as is the recording that I found. And once you've listened to that, come back and we join us in the conversation. Man, with all them lasers and phasers and Ewoks, man, I love Star Wars, boy. Okay, so tell me, t- tell me why you chose Tickle Me. I think this is a really sweet romantic song. Um, I think it's like a, uh, I think this is like a very sincere and non-cynical Randy Newman song that's really sort of like because there's so many things where Randy Newman will like play a character and uh, and the character will be unpleasant mm-hmm. and I think this is a song that is is a very sweet and innocent and not it's not a sad song and it's not, I think it's just it's literally about two people tickling each other and it's I think like I always picture this as uh, an adult couple who live together and uh, and it's and I take it at fully at face value. This is a couple who love each other okay. and they get along. And as described in this, the TV sets busted. Uh, the radio's got news on. They're like they're just alone in their apartment. And what do they decide to do? They're going to tickle each other. OK, maybe I've been biased, Connor. Maybe maybe whenever I hear a Randy song, my, my red flag is up. I'm like, okay, this has got to be a cynical song. No, I think this is I think this is from the sincere side of Randy Newman and the sweet side of Randy Newman. Um, and and I think this is a very genuine song. And it's only I, I as far as I know, the only version of it we have is from the Randy Newman live album, which is one of his first records. Yeah, which which always kind of blew my mind that he puts out an album that nobody buys, and naturally step two is to do a live record. Yeah, but, yeah. But now you now you think of this as a creepy song. I um, I, I kind of do. Um, I, in the sense of you know, I, I think of that that old Patton Oswalt bit where he says that the cute G rated versions of filth are way creepier than saying the actual word. I don't know, mate. I I think feel the, free to the, change my mind. The only slice of the song that is Randy Newman sardonic would be he says, "Why don't you tickle me? There's nothing else to do. You won't have to talk to me, and I won't have to talk to you." Yeah, which is a funny lyric, but like, assuming that this is a cons- a song about two people who are inclined to be tickling each right. other, I think the only way you get creepy is if you in infer and i don't see any reason in the lyric to do this Hmm. that we can't trust this narrator like obviously which would ruin any uh romantic song any sincere song can be ruined if you assume that it's being sung by someone who has another person tied up in the corner (laughs) okay yeah like you 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 won't get any like whatever song you know you light up my life or (laughs) what the world needs now is love all of these get ruined if we if we assume that they're being sung by Ted Bundy, you know. Um, and I think I think that like the it's obviously like it's a it's a song that doesn't have any like overt sexuality in it, other than maybe when we're done, I'll think of something, something else, else to do. Yeah. Um, but it's it's also like it feels like that way that I feel like he found a way to write about people who care about each other. Um, enjoying each other and and also I cannot think maybe I'm wrong maybe it's just a but I can't think of another song in the world about tickling 
I can I know, I'm familiar with the David Ferrier documentary Tickled. Um, <laughs> that's that's completely different. Which is obviously a, a different thing. Right. Um and certainly if if you'd played the song over the end credits to that documentary, it would give it a disturbing juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. But I'm always interested, you know, there's so many songs about a handful of topics, and then there's other topics that it feels like don't get songs written about them. Like, uh, you know, there's lots of songs I feel like about, like, we're going to dance all night right, or we're right. going to dance different ways. We're going to dance or something like that. And there's fewer songs about like, I'm late. I'm late on my commute. Like you think if I'm late and you think like, oh, well, there's like the rabbit song in right. Alice in Wonderland or something. But you like just like pop songs, like standalone pop songs that aren't connected to a narrative that are just about things like I overslept or um, I ate too much food. Like, or, like it, it feels like. Like Weird Al sort of like dominates songs about food because they're considered like a silly topic for popular songs, which for some reason it's okay to write songs about dancing all night. But if you write a song about like how you don't like salad, it's like a novelty song. You know what I mean? It's like you can't have a you can't have a song on the radio that's just about like like I hate how I have to eat salad for nutritional reasons. What what's that Eddie Pepitone song? I'm I'm 55 and I never learned how to fold clothes. Yeah, it, it's, and just... it's interesting to me because it's like if you write a song about a an ordinary or mundane thing, it kind of gets shuffled off to the side of like, oh, you're being funny. This is like a comedy song or a novelty song. And this and Randy Newman, obviously, a lot of his songs are really funny. He's someone who manages to to cover the range. But I don't know that there's any there's no like hard jokes in this one. I mean, there are a few parts that are funnier, but I think he definitely gets a laugh when he says, why don't you tickle me? Yeah. And maybe it's just the the audience is surprised. It it is that first one. It is very, it's perfectly timing timed because when, when the audience hears that, why don't you tickle me? And then there's a pause. Yeah. It gets real light. Won't that be fine? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just, I kind of feel like this is a perfect song. It's a little obscure gem. And, I, I first heard this song um, before I'd heard the Randy Newman live album on a an Irish radio show that Elvis Costello um, would guest DJ on every now and then um, that was called the Eclectic Ballroom. This is in, I think, the late 90s. Okay. And Costello picked this song, and I'd never heard it before. I had, like, I think I had, like, I had some Randy Newman albums. I don't remember whether I had the... Randy Newman like guilty box set yet or whatever, but I was definitely like pleased to hear an uh, a Randy Newman song I hadn't heard before at that point, and so part of it was that that I was like, oh, I like it when there's like an obscure song that I like that isn't like uh you know because there's so many Randy Newman songs that are like uh famous or well known that I really like, and I feel like this is just like one that one that you kind of have to like dig back into his like discography to discover. Um, yeah. And so, and yeah, but I, I don't know that there's I, a lot of, I wondered of, why a lot of, this never made. Yeah. Why he never did a studio version of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Why, why, why it went on live, which, and then just kind of disappeared. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe he thought it was a frivolous song. He might've thought like, this is not something that, uh, you know, it probably just felt like a little, you know, bobble, a little, you know, a slight little song. It, went over well in concert and then he moved on you know it's certainly it's not a major statement but in some way that does make me feel like uh that that's what kind of makes it stand out to me in his discography because i feel like sometimes his sincere songs are on the sad side sometimes although although like and and i also you know like as great as randy newman is there are those songs like every time i hear you've got a friend in me i always kind of hear What's that one? I love to see you smile. The oh yeah, Parenthood. Very, very similar. Yeah. I mean, they just sound like the same song to me. Mm-hmm. To the point where I think when I first saw Toy Story, I'm like, I think this is like just a riff on the song that I remember from Parenthood. Yep, pretty much. Um, that's just like <laughs> so. That was my. I mean, I don't think it's. I it's definitely like one of those songs that I wonder if you even brought it up to Randy Newman. If he's thought about it since he played it last in on that, you know, like, is this one that ever comes up when he plays in concert? I doubt it, you know? 
Well, I, I don't want to be the guy in the concert that shouts out the deep cut, but <laughs> Well you also don't want to be you also don't want to be the guy in the concert who shouts out tickle me. <laughs> You know, like, because 90, 99% of the people in that venue might just think you want to be tickled. Um, oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah. But uh, I was glad that no one had picked it. I also was not surprised that no one had picked it. I was like, I when I when I pitched it to you, I was like, uh, is anyone has anyone taken uh, tickling? And you're like, they have not. Um, it is on the, the Randy Newman box set, though. Oh, okay. Uh, Guilty 30 years of Randy Newman. Uh, so I think I think I heard it on that radio show. And then when I got the box set, I was like, oh, good. Tickle Me's on here. So obviously Randy Newman thinks well enough of this song to include it in his career retrospective uh, box set on the is it on the rarities uh, section, maybe. I don't know. Let me look and see. No, I've never gotten that box set. So, yes, it's on disc three. OK. Um, mixed among some of the other live tracks. But yeah. He's not ashamed of it. He put it out in the deluxe box set. He stands by it. That's what that tells me. I, I just love the energy of this album. That it, it 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 feels like there are what maybe twenty people in the crowd, and just yeah. just to be a fly on the wall for something like that is uh, it's for him still to be this young struggling artist. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, it's fun. It's it's young Randy Newman singing a song about. Wanting to tickle and be tickled with sharing a chocolate malt in the middle of it. Yeah, oh. two straws though. Oh. Two straws. You know what? So mi- he has limits. He has his boundaries. Connor, I think you're melting my cold, cynical heart. Oh, that's that it, makes me it, so happy. Maybe this is maybe this is a, a sweeter song than I anticipated. The I think you know it's funny though because if you're listening to if you're exploring the Randy Newman songbook nine times out of 10, you're going to have the right frame of mind to, to approach it with like, okay, what's the angle here? Yeah. I think, I think in this one, I think if he wanted you to be creeped out by it, he would have, he would have signaled it. Uh, he's not shy about that when he wants to put a little bit of poison into it. I think the furthest he goes is that uh, we don't have to talk to each other. But again, I read that more innocent. I think it's, it's funny. It's a funny thing to say, but I think this is a song about liking someone and being liked. Yeah. Sweet. And in, and it's also a song that like, you know, we're in the, we're in, in the middle of a pandemic still, any song about physical contact is, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, nostalgic, dangerous, hopeful, depending on which, which vantage point you're approaching it from. But it's definitely like not in the current moment. We'll uh, take it. <laughs> the 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 B the B side of Tickle Me is the the song. Uh, what's the song that he wrote last year? Stay Away. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like Tickle Me and Stay Away are not songs that uh, that uh, they are in opposition to one another. Now, now I have images of of someone you know hacking a, a, a Tickle Me Elmo doll and getting it to play this. When it... Oh, yep. Yeah, it'd be great. Yeah. Right. he'll sell millions. Uh, or you know, Randy Newman has not uh, has not, to the best of my knowledge, uh, cashed in on merchandising his own likeness. You could make a Tickle Me Randy <laughs> Newman doll and sell it to, to a niche market. I, I'm not saying it would be a hit. I'm saying you can make your money back if you keep your price point high and uh, don't make too many of them. Well, uh, but if does... if someone made a a hundred limited edition Tickle Me Randy Newman dolls they would sell out if they made a thousand i don't know it might sell well in finland right yeah let's... It, it, they need to make their voices heard if they want the tickle me randy newman doll to be to be made for the the finnish and dutch market well look, look for the kickstarter folks next couple of weeks we'll, we'll make this happen yeah one more question before we close on this song um okay help me break down the appeal uh that randy has with with folks in the comedy industry because it, it seems like you know they talk about andy kindler being the comics comic it seems to me mm-hmm. that randy is the comics musician just uh, more and more people i talk to I, i'm surprised how many comics respond to it and I'm, I'm trying to figure out the appeal there i mean i think i mean part of it is that he's just legitimately like uh, a funny songwriter but he's not he's not just a funny songwriter like he he can do both and and i also think like he's i think the kind of of the kind of comedy that he does is fully committed 
So even in a song like I Love L.A., a lot of people might hear that song and not realize the joke of it. You know what I mean? Like that listing a bunch of highways is a funny thing to do. And to have people yelling, we love it. Um, I think there's a lot of songs where he's using comedy to make a point. And I think that appeals to comedy people that, you know, uh, a song like I, I think he he comedy people like that. He I mean, speaking for myself, like I always like the way he writes for characters and the way he fully commits to those characters, and he doesn't sell those characters out. Um, yeah, to to the degree that that he he kind of risks his own reputation. That... Very much so. I mean, I think there are certainly um, songs of his that um, I have a lot of uh, respect for, but they don't necessarily make for uh, enjoyable listening. Mm-hmm. Um but I like what he's doing because he is a songwriter that is, is not afraid to shy away from, um, you know, cause I feel like there's, there's a lot of serious topics that people are afraid to address and he is fearless almost to a fault, uh, in a lot of his songwriting that he'll be like, I'm going to like an album like rednecks. He's putting himself out on a limb, um, and, you know, and there's a reason why you, you know, there's a lot of Randy Newman songs that, uh, you know, I might listen to them in the context of an album. But if I was making a Randy Newman playlist, I might not put those songs oh, on yeah. because yeah. I don't want to necessarily, even if it's just me listening to them on headphones, I am not going to be in the mood to listen to some of his songs at random. You know, the, the it's weird that he has become known to so many people for one aspect of his career. And he has another aspect that as the years go by, almost feels increasingly like a secret. Yeah. You know? Um, and I think he's admitted in interviews, like he's had people talk to him about like his use of like racial slurs in music to, uh, write a song from the point of view of a character who is a bigot. And those that's the dangerous thing about satire delving into problematic and serious waters is that there are things that might be entirely the right um, satirical move in a in a current moment. Right. And then five years or 10 years or 50 years later, um, it's a, the context shifts and what was a bullseye in one particular cultural moment suddenly becomes that you're not even on the board anymore. You're people are only noticing like you threw a dart in somebody's face, you know, oh, like, yeah, yeah. you hit the guy who was standing five feet away from the dart board because the whole bar shifted, you know? And, you know, it, it's sort of interesting because like, um, there are things that are written to make a point. And then the, like, I think one example that's interesting is like the musical South Pacific. Um, when it comes the Rogers and Hammerstein musical, when it first comes out, the whole point of it is is that it's an the point they're trying to make is an anti-racism oh. message because it's about an interracial romance and there's a song in it called "You've Got to Be Carefully Taught" that's all about how people have to be taught to hate and it's specifically people have to be taught to hate one another and it's a it's a complicated song and the and at the time the controversy was people who didn't want a message of it was racists who had a problem with South Pacific because they didn't like the anti-racist message. Then you have, you know, decades and decades go by. And some of the things it was trying to make a point about are things that the culture has shifted on. At least the, the conversation has shifted on. And now the things that are more noticeable are comic relief characters in the musical that now are offensive stereotypes. And these are not things that were noticed or commented on maybe by the people who were celebrating it when sure, it first sure. came out, but the it, it things shift. The, so it's the like, whole conversation it's almost, with uh, the Muppet Show the past few months, um, just things right, that as a kid yeah. I just didn't occur to me at all. Yeah, yeah, and it, especially with comedy, you make a joke. Timing is everything in comedy, and it's true in the way that you time a punchline. It's also true in that you can make a joke in 1979, and it's not, and it might have been very funny in 1979 with all the right people, and everything moves on. And that not every joke is designed to be evergreen. Even very good jokes sometimes uh, age in ways that they curdle, they become, you know, some jokes are 
will last for a hundred years and they'll still be funny. Um, but other jokes that maybe felt twice as funny in their age, you know, last three weeks, you know, like, and then they, you know, it doesn't, doesn't hold up. And that's part of the risk of it. I think Randy Newman, he takes those risks, but there's a reason why a song like sail away, uh, has held up better than maybe some of the songs where he's being, where he's trying to make a satirical point because he's making, uh, you can, you can feel what his intention is more directly in some of the songs that are like, I'm making a point and and I'm on the right side of things as opposed to, I'm going to write a song from the point of view of a hateful man in 1975, you know, sail away has, has the, the, the gift of subtlety, uh, that, you know, especially yeah. you know, uh, m- most of the covers that I've heard um, you know, get rid of the one ethnic slur in it, um, which it, it, yeah. it, it's a word that's bigger in England than here, but but it, it's an easy word to substitute, and it, the, the the subtlety of, of that that menace in, in "Sail Away," I, I think, really is time. Yeah, and I don't. Th- I think, and I think most people who study Randy Newman's career. Um, see that he's his impulses are usually coming from the right place, but he's trying things, you know, and not all of those things are going to hold up. And he would probably be one of the first people to admit that, that like, yeah, I don't know, like not everything. Like he's someone who's like not claiming to be perfect. And um, and I think there are instances where he's tried things that like maybe they worked for five years, maybe they worked for 10 years, but like even even recent stuff like i'm not sure how uh, like some of the stuff in like his putin song you know there are yeah i putin seems it reminds me of, you know like the first family or something this has a shelf life yeah it where it's like it's not even like that interest it's not an in, that interesting a take on the it, like it kind of felt like um it's not the thing that i'm interested in hearing about from him at this point you know that like cuz yeah. it's sort of he's not He's neither on the cutting edge of saying something surprising about it. And so as a result, it's sort of like I'd almost rather hear him sing about the weather than (laughs) hear his take on like like, I don't know the the, but I think that's also what makes him an exciting artist is he's always been someone who is ambitious enough that he sometimes tries stuff and it doesn't work. And then he tries another thing and maybe that does work, you know, got to respect that. Yeah. I think that's what makes him exciting. He's not he's not a boring songwriter to explore. Well, Connor, it's time to spin the wheel. Oh boy, I'm nervous. If you want to practice at home, you can go to Twitter, go to our pinned tweet, uh, which is a thread. The second tweet on that thread is this giant green spinning wheel that Connor is seeing on his screen right now. So what we'll do, just yell out stop and read out what song you land on. All right. So I'm going to close my eyes and yell out stop. Spin the wheel, spin the wheel, spin the wheel of Randy. Stop. Gainesville. Do you know this song? Uh, I do, but it's been a while. Okay. This is uh, Um, Linda Ronstadt sings this in the musical Faust. And let's just take a few minutes and listen to this. And folks, y'all can listen to this yourselves. This is Gainesville off of Faust. And hold on, let me make sure that I'm sharing the sound here. So listen to Gainesville, and we will be right back. I mean, I think it's devastating. I think it's so yeah. good. I first of all, I could feel it. It's been a while since I've listened to this. And I realized at the beginning of this, I'm not sure timeline-wise where this fault where I can't remember where Faust falls in terms of how many years until he's doing Toy Story 2. Faust is point. 97. So, yeah, oh, so in between like, Toy Story 1 and 2. So, it, it, yeah. it's and right, right there with when she loved me. There it, and there's something in the DNA of like if if you've got a friend in me is friends with uh, I love to see you smile like you can feel in this song in the music of it and also in the way he's like he knows how to like 
use details to wring that certain emotion. This song yeah. is very much like he's in a mode that, I mean, just the simplicity of the lyric. I mean, the music on its own is like, um, hits all my buttons in terms of like, it makes me sad, like in a good way. It makes me very sad to hear when Randy Newman is in this yeah. mode. And I think to go back to your thing about why do comedy people like Randy Newman so much, I'll expand the answer to say, I think it's because like he does comedy really well, but then comedy people like, I think we like seeing someone be really funny and like, okay, you're one of us, you're a comedy person. And then they do something like this and you're like, oh, and it's like every comedy person who wants to like do a devastatingly dramatic right. thing. Um, boy, it just makes you feel, I don't even know what the word is for it because it's like, there's this longing in this music and, um, and then I've been told all my life when I found someone, he would look at me and I'd know, um, just like there's something so simple about that that you just picture like a thousand other songwriters looking at that lyric and going like, damn it. Like, why didn't I? Why didn't I say, why didn't I put that lyric down five minutes ago and it could have yeah, been mine? Yeah, you know, yeah. like. I, I I love, there aren't a lot of songs like this that are, I wouldn't, it's not an anti-love song. It's just, she's ready to love, but it's not for this. She's not going to fall in love with this mope. You know, yeah. whoever it is, it, it's not you, buddy. Um, yeah. Now, there was also a thing in there that um, there was a, I always like it when you can hear a little snippet of something. Um, I'm looking for, there was a, a piece of this song, uh, that reminded me of, and I'm not sure which song it is. Um, there was a song, there was a moment in the song where, um, it reminded me of a part of, uh, Les Mis. Um, huh. I'm trying to find the, um, yeah, like there's a part in the song where, the music goes um, where she sings, uh, and my father was a tailor. And it's, and I could hear in it, I was like, wait, you know, it almost feels like you're going in the direction where it's going to turn into another song. Uh And I feel like there's parts of like, I dreamed a dream where it's like, but the tigers come at night with their voices soft as thunder. Um, and it's it's just a funny little place where like for a brief second it feels like I was like wait 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 what is happening here when she's like but and my father was a tailor <laughs> I'm like oh it's gonna turn into Les Mis but yeah it's boy it's just you know I was not Faust isn't my favorite in some ways because I like I remember when that album came out being like I just want to hear Randy sing mm. these songs and. Uh, and there was a part of me that felt like, oh, it's like when you get the soundtrack to a thing, but you can't actually see the thing. But then hearing hearing that rendition of it, I'm like, oh, no, sometimes it's like I don't in the same way that I don't as much as I would. Is there a demo for um, When She Loved Me? Um, only one. I never heard him do it. You know, I've never heard him I, do it either. When he and put I out feel the like... songbooks, he cheated and just did an instrumental version. Yeah, and I, part of me thinks that that's because Randy is smart and he knows that, like, there are certain songs he writes that are so beautiful that he doesn't want to ruin them by having the version where it's like, now this, like, little froggy man is going to sing. You know, like, See, I, this song's I was so really beautiful surprised it's written for. Yeah, yeah. I, I was really surprised when he, he put his version of Feels Like Home out uh, on um, mm-hmm. on uh, Harps and Angels because... It's like, we've got Bonnie's version, and now, okay, here's Randy singing it. Okay, all right, but it works. Yeah, like, I'm still curious. I'd still like to hear his, like, uh, one of the songs that I've always wanted to hear his demo of is the Dusty Springfield, uh, I've Been Wrong Before. Oh, yeah. And I've always wanted to hear him singing, and I've never heard a version where he, but I'm like. Have you heard Elvis Costello's version of that? Yeah, yeah. That was where I first heard that song, and then I tracked down the Dusty Springfield one. And then I was like, where's Randy's version? I'm like, he probably is just like, you have Dusty Springfield's version. You don't need another, you don't need to hear my rough draft right. of it. I have a perfect version. Um, and similarly, like, there's parts of this that that she's just able to deliver so flawlessly. And um, you know, this is technically, this is a, a tricky piece. I, in three minutes, he's got two key changes. It, yeah. 
and Linda Ronstadt sounds so oh, great on it. And so you great. can hear that if Randy Newman was singing it, it would be very much the songwriter singing as a, you know, like it would be like a placeholder for like, yeah, we're going to get someone who can really hit these lines, you know? Right, um, right, right. Yeah. I, boy, I just, I love it. It's, it's really knocks me out. It really, it's a mode that um, I think it's, I don't know how he does it. Like he's, he's found this, he's found this thing and he clearly knows it because that's why when it came time to do Toy Story 2, he's like, oh, I'll go over here. I think there's like, I think this area is where we can get the, this feeling, you know, like. Yeah. Um, well, I'd never, I'd never put two and two together that they were, it they just, were back to back It like just that. feels so similar in mood without, while being distinct. Um, I mean, going through that, I mean, just the repetition starting off with the, I was born in Gainesville, Florida. My father was a tailor. My mother ran a cafe near the university. I mean, it just, it's, he's in that like short story writer mode, you know, like he's the details, you know, they're, they're so simple, but paired with the music he's written for it, they're really, powerful and devastating yeah um especially devastating as 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 this show goes on and linda ronstadt's character gets so horribly (laughs) abused yeah uh, that uh, that she gets what the the devil sends cupid to to hit her with an arrow and and all of a sudden she's not so uh she's not so uh picky with the boys right yeah well i mean i it's not a song i could listen to very often i'm very glad it i'm very glad that it is the one that came up because it i do feel like it's the kind of song that um i'm not just gonna play this in my apartment because then i'll just be sad afterwards i feel like in this context where we can talk about it i feel like it's a song that requires a certain amount of like uh you had a it's nice to be able to talk about someone with it afterwards I think it's a very bad song to listen to on your own, unless well, you're yeah, gonna... okay. The, to be fair, this is supposed. This is in a show. Yeah. You know, you're supposed to experience this in a crowded theater. I'm just saying for anyone at home who's listening and like talk, get someone else to listen to it also and talk to them about it. It's it yeah. feels like you want to be able to. Uh, I just am imagining if if I had just if we had ended this podcast and I went and listened to this on my own, I would feel very bad after that. And I feel like it's good to be able to actually talk about it, you know. Yeah, and and if you if you play it on repeat five or six times, nope. you know, nope. seek professional help. Nope, nope. Too yeah. powerful, too intense. Yeah. Um, <sighs> yeah, he knows what he's doing, you know. Like, and and you you know when he writes a song like this, he must feel pretty good at the end of it because like it's also just so impressive that a guy can write a song like uh, like Short People or It's Money That Matters. He can write all these like bitter, caustic, kind of funny songs and then write something that's from a complete, it's a completely different spectrum of approach and sound and human emotion. Because sometimes I think there's a, when I was first trying to figure out Randy Newman, I wasn't sure, and I don't, obviously I don't know him personally, so I don't know this, but I was trying to figure out like, is Randy Newman mean I was trying to figure out, is he a mean guy? Because when I was first exposed to his songwriting, I wasn't sure, like, is this guy mean or not? Well, the people I've talked to say he's the nicest guy. That's the sense that I get as well, and I'm glad to hear that. Because there's a part of me that when I hear a song that's this sad, I would hate to think that that it's because he knows how to, you know, manipulate. As opposed to, like, I think he... My impression that I get of him is that he's a fully rounded human being and that these songs are him working through the full range of human emotion. Yeah. Um, which is exciting. That's, you know, that's where you want great artists to operate from is you want them to be able to figure, you know, essentially when you're listening to an artist like this, you're listening to them figure out stuff. And that's exciting. Like through the course of their career, their art is a process of like figuring out what do I think about this? What do I think about that? And then what do I have to say about this and that, you know? And, and this is like, I mean, he was always good at writing sad songs. Yeah. The early sad songs are great. I, I love that, that speaking of Dusty, that, that I don't want to hear it anymore. Uh, yeah. That he does on it's Dusty beautiful. and Memphis. It's just, ugh, gets me every yeah. time. Yeah. And, but a song like, a song like this, there's an intensity to the level of, 
I think it's a good pairing. Uh, Tickle Me and Gainesville. I think it's a good pairing. The, the the wheel is all about balance. The wheel knows what it's doing every single time, I feel. Because I think these are both sweet and sincere songs. But Tickle Me features these characters that are, I think, on an upswing. I think they're on a, they're in a good, we're catching them in a good moment. Mm-hmm. Things are going well and there's no reason to believe they won't keep going well for them. And Gainesville is a song that everything sounds very pretty, but there's a there's an element of foreboding to it. There's um it's like when you're seeing a scene in a movie where someone's walking through a parking lot and you don't know why you're watching the scene. Mm-hmm. And you immediately realize, oh no, something bad's gonna happen because there's no reason to show this person walking to their car in the parking lot just to get in their car and drive away. So you're like, you tense up. And there's something about like her listing of who she is and who her family is and what she's been told about the way life is going to work out that makes you sort of tense up and think, oh, no, that nothing, nothing good can come from this. You know, you. Yeah. Mm. Boy, what what a roller. What an emotional roller coaster. These two songs have put us on. Yeah. Good job, Wheel. Good job, Wheel. You knew what you knew exactly how to bring us down from the 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 unfettered happiness of uh, two people tickling each other to someone who has someone who's at a point in their life where they have a just enough hope to get them in trouble. (laughs) Well, speaking of ray of happiness, if you have a few minutes, uh, I want to play a cover of tickle me that I found. This is this week's cover. This week's cover. Do you know who Alan Price is? Alan Price. He was with the animals. He uh like on House of the Rising Sun, he's the guy who does the keyboards on oh, okay. And then he went solo and in like nineteen sixty seven put out an album called A Price on His Head. It has seven Randy Newman songs on it. Back when no wow. one knew who the hell Randy Newman was. And one of them is Tickle Me. Wow. Well, I'm excited so, to hear this. Let... And I love the fact I love the fact that a man with that a man with the the name Price, his first two albums both have plays on the word price. The price to play and a price on his head. Yeah. Um So I'm yeah. I'm gonna play this uh, and folks uh, can follow the link yeah. on on wheel of brandy start at the 38 second mark because the first 30 seconds are him and the engineer arguing so great here's tickle me with by alan press it couldn't be more appropriate for what you're going through when you're on the bottom like you are today could you at least hit a note those around you are losing faith in what you're trying to do Richard, you're tone deaf. There's only one thing. <laughs> it surprised me. Yeah. I was not expecting that big oompa-pa energy yep. right out of the gate. It grew on me pretty quickly. I think it's a pretty busy arrangement, I have to say. It's a pretty... <laughs> it's a. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. It's a very, like, every... Like, all hands on deck, kitchen sink. Like, we got strings, we got... <laughs> We got everything. Now, um, I wonder how much of that is because we're so used to that one stripped down version by Randy that yeah. any difference just really strikes us. Well, I think there were parts of it where I was like, mm, I could imagine pulling back on a few of these elements just because there was so much going on. Um, what's interesting is that when it's just Randy doing it, um, it feels like an intimate song. It feels like a conversation between two people. Yeah. When you have this big an arrangement, it's harder to it's harder to know what the um, how many people are being uh, talked to. You know what I mean? Like, how many people is he asking to tickle him? It could be dozens. <laughs> it's, you know? It, yeah, it feels like you know. Tom Jones on stage. It does feel like Tom Jones. Yeah. And it it does feel like he, the you is a plural you. He's inviting everybody. Um, (laughs) Yes. On balance. I liked it. I think the bones of the strong, uh, the bones of the song are strong and uh, it's still uh, good, clean fun. That's where I land on it with this cover version. I would be interested to hear what a song would be like if it was sort of halfway between these two versions, because Connor, I lost you for about thirty seconds there. Okay, yeah. Um, Said the bones are strong. 
the bones of the song are strong. I I do think I'd be curious to to hear someone do a take that lands somewhere splitting the difference, like a band version of it that wasn't quite so, you know, like, because in a way that rhythm feels like there's a lot going on (laughs) where where the point of the song is that nothing's going on. And it kind of is so busy that it's sort of like in the, in the stripped down live piano version, it we really do believe that the TV's busted. There's nothing going on. Hey, why don't we do this? And, when you have such a busy arrangement, it's hard. You feel like you're in the middle of a festival. It's just like, it's so big. But I'm so glad to have heard that now. You know, that uh, that, that whole gonna... album, I, that's the only Alan Press I've really heard, but that whole album has that, that same energy. Uh, and apparently he made the charts with Simon Smith. I mean, it makes sense. He got Simon a, Smith I mean, up I to assuming... like number five. Yeah. I mean, is it, is his version of Simon Smith... Um, as busy is it a similar like um you know what i've heard so many versions of simon smith i can't keep them straight i i couldn't tell you what it sounds like but i, I imagine it, it i can see it having that same carnival energy i'm gonna click like on spotify so that uh, there's it looks like there's a bonus track version of it and some other version of it on spotify i'm gonna cl- click like on both yeah, of them so these alan price yeah, versions are gonna pop there. up in my uh in my shuffle mode uh mixes and, and, and will randy listeners uh this youtube link that we sent to has 199 views so by the time this show has been out for a week i expect to see a bump there let's get we're alan gonna price break, some, we're gonna break some, we're gonna break 200 numbers yeah <laughs> Connor, thank you yeah. so much for doing this. What, oh. What's the best way for people to get hold of you? Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Connor Ratliff um, and uh, tweet at me. You know, that's one way. I'm on Instagram. It's, uh, there's plenty of ways to uh, find me. My podcast, Dead Eyes. We're working on a third season of it now. And uh, at some point, the George Lucas Talk Show will be back from hiatus, and that's on planetscum.live usually on Sunday nights although we'll see what form the show will be back at who knows Um, uh, but I'm very happy to have participated in the wheel of Randy Um, how many wheels how many wheels are in the wheel of verse because you have the wheel of Zappa yes Uh, wheel of Zappa was an April 1st one time episode that was a one time only thing okay so there's no I I was hoping when I saw that 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 meant there were many wheels under construction I'll, I'll volunteer if there's ever a wheel of Costello constructed. I'd like to run that wheel. I know that Costello has a literal wheel that he tours with. That was my inspiration like, for this. Yeah. 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 Um, you may. Well, if you ever want to start a sister podcast that is the wheel of Costello and I, and if I, if it catches me in the right moment that I would love to spearhead something like that. Cause I feel like I would, uh, I like this format of bringing a song and then finding a song. I think that's really fun. Well, it's, it's been, you know, I, this is episode 40 and i planned on doing 10 this was like this is something that i'm gonna do till we can get back on stage just to keep me yeah. sane and yeah it just keeps going man it keeps well going. it's a really fun thing so, I'm, I'm glad you're doing it well thank you so much for doing this connor <laughs> Well, that's it for another episode of Wheel of Randy. We are part of the Good Trash Media Network and can be found on Twitter at Wheel of Randy. For links to all of the shows uh, and as well as links to the songs that we discuss on these shows, go to Twitter at Wheel of Randy, go to our pinned tweet, and that will take you to a blog spot with all of these. Yes, a blog spot, because it's 2021. (sighs) Wheel of Randy is brought to you by Wade Engineering. We are a water and sewer engineering firm out of Oklahoma and Texas, specializing in hydraulic modeling. Give us a call at 405-426-7634. couple of thank yous. Thank you to Brian Mays for our artwork. You can check him out on Facebook at Brian Mays Art. Thank you to Matt Farley for our theme song and for our Spin the Wheel song and for our This Week's Cover song. You can check him out at Moturn Media. That's M-O-T-E-R-N Media. Thanks to Alex Sanchez for our Second Chances song. 
thanks to everyone out there who has promoted the show, who's given us a good rating, who's given us a review, uh, and just thanks for listening. It means a lot to me. And thanks for staying home. Come on, a couple more months, folks. We've got this. Stay home. Listen to the wheel. Don't get infected. Don't infect others. And maybe society will... See you next time. Bye. It's Wheel of Randy.